Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We are podcasting a Bible class every Sunday morning. It is posted at 9.30 every Sunday morning, which is the time in Omaha where our congregation, the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, meets in the building for Sunday morning Bible class. Now, we know that there are people who cannot be with us in person. We know also that there are people out there who want to study God's Word, but uh, they maybe cannot get out of their homes. Maybe they're in other parts of the country. Maybe they're somewhere around the world, but they want to learn. They want to study. And so we're thankful that we can have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to broadcast God's Word, to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis, literally around the world through the medium of the Internet, through these podcasts. Some people, they're not quite sure, but they want to learn. And so they hold back a little bit until they can learn more thoroughly what God's Word really teaches and thereby what His will for their life really is. Well, we want to help people. We want to help people get to heaven. So we encourage you to continue to study, but also to share these studies with everybody you can, friends, family members, work associates, neighbors, literally everybody you can. And We encourage you to help them understand, and you need to understand, that faith develops within us as we study God's Word. It's not some magical happening. It's not something that God bestows upon some people but withholds from others. But the Scriptures themselves tell us how faith develops within an individual. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So share these studies with everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody get to heaven. That'll be a great blessing for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Now also encourage everyone you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button, sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. We keep emphasizing we're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. So tell people to sign up for our podcasting. When they do, they will receive to their smart device, smartphone, computer, laptop, pad, tablet, whatever they choose, automatically our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and they will receive a daily Monday through Friday radio program, Search the Scriptures, but also a seven-day-a-week, every day of the week, short Bible study, only about 13 or 14 minutes long, called Today's Bible Class. Now, that is tremendous daily study material that people can receive for free on an ongoing basis. While at our website, churchofchrist.com, they can also download and listen to hundreds of sermons, many of which are now posted in video format as well as audio, and they can download and read and study through hundreds of scripturally-based and spiritually-focused articles. And again, all of that is free and always will be free. So tell everybody you can. Take advantage of it yourself and encourage everyone you know to take advantage of it as well. We're going to get back into our study talking about the 
early history of the Israelites. Well, we might think about early history. We might think, well, wait a minute. It goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, but that's just the beginning of the bloodline. And then we studied through the book of Genesis. We've seen how Abraham, his son Isaac, then was the continuation of the bloodline through which God would bring the nation of Israel into the world, develop it, grow it, populate it, so to speak. He would give them a land that he promised to Abraham through his descendants, the promised land. It keeps being referred to as. It would be the land of Canaan that would become the nation of Israel. Through Abraham's bloodline, Isaac was born, and through Isaac's bloodline, Jacob was born, and through Jacob's bloodline, 12 sons were born, and they became the forefathers of what were the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, all of this transpired over hundreds and hundreds of years while Jacob and his sons resided in Egypt. The the number of their descendants grew astronomically, probably to about a one to three million or so. And they spent about 400 years in Egypt, growing in number. And then one of the pharaohs who came along, he feared the great number of the Israelites living within his land. He feared that they could turn against him and ally themselves with some enemy and take over Egypt. So he made slaves out of them. He, he, he suppressed, repressed them terribly. He, he was mean to them, even to the point of, of ordering that the male babies as they were born should be killed. And so the people of the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the Israelites, they, they began to pray to God for deliverance. And God answered their prayers. He sent Moses and Aaron, Moses' brother, to lead them out of Egypt through the wilderness to the land, the promised land that he had promised to their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. But as we've been reading, as they were going through the wilderness. When they came to the border of Canaan, uh, Moses sent 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. Now, they all came back with an initial good report, even bringing back examples or samples of the produce of the land. And they said, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. But then when the prospect of going in and fighting the battles to conquer that land and drive out those idol-worshiping inhabitants that were there at that time, and all of this by God's instruction, and God was going to give them the victories over their enemies, ten of the spies turned their report into a bad report. They said, we can't do this. We're not strong enough. There's mighty people in there. Their cities are massive. They're fortified. There's even giants that live in that land. Two of the spies, however, Joshua and Caleb said, and they they demonstrated their faith in God to give them the victories to fulfill his promise. And so they said, we can go, we can take it, let's go right now. But the people turned against Joshua, uh, Joshua and Caleb because they accepted the bad report of the other 10 spies. They were demonstrating weak faith. Those 10 spies were demonstrating weak faith. And so God punished that entire adult generation from 20 years old on up 
by forcing them to piddle around in the wilderness. It's called the wilderness wanderings. They just went in a big, long circle for 40 years until that entire adult generation died out. And then God led, through Joshua, the children who now had become the adults within the nation of Israel. He led them into the promised land and gave them the victories and gave them the land. Well, in the book of Numbers, and we've looked at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and we've come through a great deal of Numbers, we have been highlighting certain events that took place in that wilderness journey to get back to the border of the promised land. And we've seen the weakness of Israel's faith, the Israelites' faith, over and over again. God fed them miraculously every morning with manna. He fed them miraculously with meat through quail. He took care of them to the extent that that even their clothes and their shoes never wore out over those 40 years. He provided water for them miraculously. Now, as they go through that 40-year period, they keep demonstrating a weak faith. And this is where God is letting that entire generation, that entire adult generation, die out. Their children are going to become the ones he leads into the promised land. They're going to become the nation of Israel in fruition. And their faith is going to be strong enough to take the land, God giving them the victories in battle and driving out the inhabitants who were not believers in God. They were idol worshipers. As we go through the book of Numbers, and we're coming to the point where they're getting just almost right up to the border of the promised land for the second time. The first time we know their faith failed as a whole, and God then punished them by causing them to wander around in the wilderness for another 40 years. Well, now that adult generation has pretty much died off, and their children have grown up, and they're the adults now, and their faith is sufficient that God is going to give them the land. He's going to lead them into it. So they're coming closer and closer. They're coming right up against it almost at this point. And they've had to fight some battles along the way. Now, they did not want to fight those battles. They, Joshua would send word ahead to the kings of those lands and say, just let us pass through. We're, we're not going to do any damage to your land. If we cause any problems, we'll restore it. And we don't want any problems. Just let us pass through. But king after king said, no, no, they feared the Israelites. And so they brought their warriors to battle against the Israelites, and God kept giving Israel victory over these enemies. And so they would occupy their land for a period of time. But that was not the land that God intended to give them. So here they come up in chapter 22 to another one of those kings, and it is the land of Moab. And so the king of Moab is named Balak. He looks out, and and again, as we've pointed out, he understood, he knew what had been happening to those kings that had sent their armies against Israel before him. They were all defeated. And the Israelites occupied their land as they continued to move toward Canaan. So Balak, he recognized 
this is a mighty people. There's a whole lot of them out there. And he was really afraid that he, he, could, he could not, through his army, defeat them. So he came up with a plan in his mind. He decided he would send for a man of God named Balaam, and he would pay Balaam to curse Israel. Well, of course, Balak did not understand the incongruity of that or the contradiction of that in its very terms. If Balaam would be a true man of God, then he would not curse the people of God. But Balak, that was in his mind. And so, again, he, did not, he was not a worshiper of God. He was an idol worshiper. He worshiped statues and images and carvings and so on. So he sends his messengers to talk to Balaam and give him money to curse the people of Israel so that Balak could send his army out against them and defeat them. Well, Balaam, he inquires of God, and in verse 10, so Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Well, there were a lot of them, in other words, a lot of Israelites. Come now, curse them for me. And he's simply repeating the words from the, me- from the messengers that King Balak had sent out to him. Curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak, their king in other words, and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Well, Balaam refused to go with them because God told Balaam not to go. Wouldn't it be great if when we read God's instructions in his word, we would take it to heart and we'd say, hey, God said to do this, that's what I'm going to do. Or God said to stay away from this, I'm going to stay away from that, whatever it is. Uh, But the devil's very skillful in clouding our judgment if we let him, but only if we let him. Well, verse 15, then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. So Balak's not giving up on Balaam. So he sends more princes, more than he'd sent the first time, and probably princes of a higher position than the first ones. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me, his house full of silver and gold. I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. So Balaam is responding to these emissaries from King Balak, king of Moab, 
if Balak were to give me his entire house full of silver and gold, I can't go beyond what God tells me to do. Now, Balaam's still demonstrating great faith and dedication to God. Great faith in and great dedication to God. In verse 19, Balaam now tells these messengers then, Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to tell you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So first God says, okay, if they come and they tell you, please go with us and, 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 and speak whatever God tells you to speak. He says, then God says, go with them. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Okay, now some things, some, some material is left out of the story here. And, and you have to understand, you have to read a further reference later on. Balaam did not follow God's instruction correctly. Balak was offering him a lot of money, and Balaam was giving in to that temptation. And so he was going to go, and he was going to attempt to curse the Israelites. For Balak, the king of Moab, because Balak was going to pay him a lot of money. And, and so he was being unfaithful at this point. Now, first God said... If, Bal- if Balak, if that king wants you to just come and pronounce whatever I tell you to pronounce, go do it. God was going to tell him to undoubtedly pronounce a blessing upon the Israelites. But Balaam, and we find a further reference to this later on in the scriptures, he does not follow God's instructions. He decides to go ahead, get the money, and do what Balak wants him to do and curse Israel. So verse 21, Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. So God is angry with Balaam, who is supposed to be a man of God. Now, how many times do we find people, and and probably every single one of us has stumbled along the way, as we try to live a godly life, but we find ourselves giving in to the temptations of the devil, to the ways of this world, and we stumble along the way. Now, thank God that he's patient with us and he gives us time to recognize our error and repent and seek his forgiveness. He's going to do that with Balaam. So Balaam goes, he starts out, he's riding his donkey, but God sends an angel in the way. In other words, on the road through which Balaam is traveling on his donkey to Moab to king to the king of uh, to King Balak. 
Verse 23 says, Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. <laughs> Why didn't Balaam see that angel? Well, perhaps God had instructed the angel to not yet reveal himself to Balaam. Or maybe Balaam was just so intent on the road or just getting to where he was going and, and, and get the money that was being promised to him, they just was looking beyond. Maybe his, his eyes were clouded by greed, perhaps, or the love of money. Remember the Apostle Paul said the love of money is a root of all evil? But the donkey saw the angel standing in the road, and so the donkey turned aside and went off into the field. Interesting, interesting. <clears throat> well, what did Balaam do? He struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on his side, on this side, and a wall on that side. So the angel stands in the road in a narrow pathway, and there's the vineyard on either side, a wall on one side, a wall on the other side. When the, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So the, the donkey is still seeing the angel. Balaam is still not seeing the angel. And the donkey goes up against the wall and, and, and mashes <laughs> his master's foot up against the wall. So what does Balaam do? He struck the, the, the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or the left. So there's even a more narrow passage now, and there's no way to get around where the angel is standing. Interesting. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So she just dropped to the ground. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So he's got a staff, a long stick, and he, stri he strikes the donkey. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now think about the lesson here, the profound lesson. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord three times. Balaam does not. Balaam is not going in honor of God. He's not going in obedience to God. He's going in disobedience. He's going for his own ill-gotten gain, as it's called. He doesn't see the angel of the Lord, but the donkey does. The dumb donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Balaam does not. And Balaam strikes the donkey three times, trying to get the donkey to get straight and keep on going. But then, and how profound a lesson this should have been to Balaam, and it should be to all of us, all of humanity. God causes the donkey to speak to Balaam. Why have you struck me these three times? What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, the further absurdity of Balaam's 
blindness and what he's doing, what he's focused on, he talks back to the donkey. In verse 29, Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me. Now, do you think, don't you think he should have stopped and been struck by the fact that a donkey was talking to him? <laughs> but instead, he, he answers the donkey. Where was his head? Where was his heart? Where was his spirit? So he said to the donkey, because you've abused me. I wish, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Now he's anger. He's losing control of himself. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Oh, all of a sudden, Balaam saw. He not only saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword ready to strike, but he saw his own blindness and his own disobedience and unfaithfulness before God. And he fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. Oh, what a lesson Balaam was learning. And of course, the angel was simply communicating God's will to Balaam, God's warning. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Really? You're disobeying God? And you're saying, if it displeases you? Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And so now God, and let me tell you, Balaam gets the message this time. He understands. God, through the angel, is telling him, you keep going with the men. But when you get to Balak, you only speak the words that I tell you to speak. Now, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, so the king of Moab, he, he hears Balaam's on his way. He went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then, Balaam, then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word of God puts in my mouth, or the word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. 
And this is supposed to be a lesson to Balak also. Balaam finally understands and he submits to God's will. I have come. You sent for me. I've come. But I can only speak the word of the Lord. So Balaam went with Balak and they came to Kirjath Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of, of, of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. In other words, he might be able to see the massive number of the Israelites below. And that's the end of chapter 22. And we'll pick up with chapter 23 and see what happens next. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand that we need to follow your word. We need to follow your teachings, your will, in spite of whatever the devil may put before us as temptation, as allurement, as seeming attractiveness, whatever it might be. Help us to always understand that you offer the best for us and that ultimately, You want us to be with you in heaven forever. Help us to stay true to you and help us to learn from the mistake, the initial mistake of Balaam wanting to simply get the gain that was offered to him for not following your will for his life. Help us to not make that mistake, Father, to recognize that the ways of this world, even with all of its treasures, are short-lived, but you offer us eternal treasure in heaven. Please forgive us, gracious Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.